Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Heading into the 1950s, Disney was actually going through a period with less than optimal profits. In the late 30s, Snow White had brought them to the forefront, but going into the 50s, a post-war era and inconsistent revenue problems were causing the studio major concerns. But in 1950, Cinderella was exactly what the House of Mouse needed. The classic fairy tale coincided perfectly with television, which was quickly finding its way into more homes. The success of Cinderella led nicely into Disney's first TV programming in 1954, and then the opening of Disneyland in 1955. Disney had been on the ropes, and the success of Cinderella helped to right the ship, and there was no looking back. Surely the animation giant wouldn't go through a period like that again with low profits and an animation studio hanging by a thread. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consume, and connected. And today, we look back on the movie that was supposed to usher in a new era of animation for Disney, but ended up almost sinking them. This is the story of The Black Cauldron. What's your favorite classic Disney animated film? Some of the more popular choices include Cinderella, Lady and the Tramp, Peter Pan, Dumbo, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, and Toy Story. A lot of the favorites go back to the 1930s, 40s, 50s, and then into the 90s and 2000s. But when it came to animated films, the 1980s weren't exactly a golden age of animation for the historic studio. Besides The Fox and the Hound from early in the decade, the first movie I ever saw in a theater but had to be carried out of screaming because the bear scared the living hell out of me, there really wasn't a lot of animated fare to speak of, specifically for feature-length animated films. The 80s gave us more live-action offerings from Disney, like Herbie Goes Bananas, The Journey of Natty Gan, and the very ahead of its time, Tron. There was one notable animated release that comes out as the 80s were coming to a close, but we'll get back to that in a bit as it ties into this story. But why such a dwindling amount of animated films? And why, in 1985, did everything almost come crashing down for good? The story of the Black Cauldron is based around the mythical land of Pradane and a young man named Taryn, a simple pig keeper. Taryn is given the task of protecting a magical pig. The pig, named Henwen, knows the location of the mysterious and magical Black Cauldron. The Black Cauldron, however, is black magic and an object of ultimate power. 
Naturally, someone evil wants the cauldron for themselves, the evil horned king who will stop at nothing to possess the cauldron for himself. We'll get to some of the more specific and disturbing elements of this cartoon film in a moment. The story is very loosely based on the Chronicles of Prydain, a series of books from the mid-60s written by Lloyd Alexander. But you may be able to identify a bit of that hero's journey premise that we know so well from Luke Skywalker and Star Wars. The formula of the hero's journey is where a regular person who dreams of a life of excitement has to answer the call for adventure. They face struggles and challenges, but return home a hero. And it's been used countless times, including by Disney. But it's a classic narrative, and these stories could be promising as a movie. This was going to be a landmark film for Disney, as it would be the company's 25th animated feature. After all the original books in the series came out, Disney quickly secured the rights. Production for the movie, which came out in 1985, mind you, began all the way back in the early 70s. And even then, Disney planned on releasing the movie in 1980. Still, nine years is a long turnaround time, even for an animated film. But first things first, they had a few other movies to get into theaters during the 70s, including Robin Hood, The Rescuers, and The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. We have to remember, these are mostly hand-drawn animated films during this time period. And also, at this point in the 70s, Disney didn't have the massive staff of animators they once did. Slow and Steady was the name of the game. But there was another issue. Quite a few of the primary Disney animators were getting on in years. Some were even leaving and retiring. There needed to be a changing of the guard. Animator Don Bluth was one of those people who bridged the gap between the past and the future. Bluth, born in 1937, trained under some of the original Disney animators. He eventually worked on Robin Hood, Winnie the Pooh, and was the animation director for Pete's Dragon. Bluth, along with a team of young and ambitious animators, was ready to take the wheel to steer Disney into the future. The Black Cauldron could be that ideal project to establish a new era of animators and set the tone for animated movies going forward. But not everyone shared that view. One of the first big issues is the Black Cauldron would primarily feature people. A majority of Disney movies featured animals, and those were easier to animate. Besides the films I mentioned like The Rescuers and Winnie the Pooh, the last bunch of animated releases like The Aristocats and The Jungle Book were animal-based, as were the animated characters in Mary Poppins and 101 Dalmatians. So with all the various factors, as we enter the 1980s, the Black Cauldron got pushed down the to-do list, and that forced Bluth and his team out the door. Bluth spun off to create his own studio, which created projects like The Secret of Nim. And his studio provided the animation for the quarter-eating arcade game Dragon's Lair. If you ever played Dragon's Lair, you may have noticed that the animation looked like the secret of Nim and the sword and the stone. 
Those were two of the projects Bluth worked on. Bluth's studio also created other beloved hits from the 80s like An American Tale, The Land Before Time, and All Dogs Go to Heaven. Bluth and his team of young animators were clearly out of the picture. What was the plan now with The Black Cauldron, a movie that had been sitting on the back burner for nearly a decade? Obviously, nothing was coming out for the originally intended 1980 release date. The Fox and the Hound was then pushed back to 1981. But with even fewer animators on staff, which included a young Tim Burton, what would be the fate of The Black Cauldron? The first scripts for the movie took some of the beats from the original books, but one early draft was thought to be too comedic and wacky. The film needed to be more epic and serious in tone. Production finally began in 1981, but there were quite a few hands on deck, which historically isn't always the best way to make a movie. More disagreements on what direction the film should take caused some people to step away from the project. But work forged on, and Disney went all in on the Black Cauldron. Technology and film was changing, and this could be a chance to showcase new animation techniques and showcase their ingenuity and create a visual masterpiece the likes no one had ever seen before. Computers were able now to assist in animation, and sound technology had improved by leaps and bounds. The Black Cauldron could be something pretty special in a post-Star Wars Tron world. But this wouldn't come cheap. Trying to push the envelope would also create a lot of headaches along the way. To start, the film was formatted in the wrong aspect. The CGI was used sparingly, but still difficult to use. There were even plans for holographic projectors to create a profound viewing experience. Basically, the studio was quickly biting off more than they could chew. Not to mention, there was an animator strike during production. It's now 1984, and if you know your business and Disney history, this is when the company did a house cleaning of sorts and brought in Michael Eisner, a move actually encouraged by George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and even Jim Henson. The former CEO, Ron Miller, was the son-in-law of Walt Disney and had been overseeing the production of The Black Cauldron. Eisner was CEO now, and he brought in Jeffrey Katzenberg. But here's the problem. They didn't have a huge interest in animation. The production side of Disney was also small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. A September 1984 article in the New York Times states that Disney's movie and television department contributed only 13% of the company's total revenue. Was animation even a worthwhile pursuit anymore? But here's the big problem. The studio had already sunk a lot of time and money into this Black Cauldron film. This would be the first release under the new management and it was time for some early test screenings. Let's just say that the first screenings didn't exactly go well. If you've ever seen The Black Cauldron, especially as a kid during the 80s, you know where this is going. The movie was extremely intense and even downright gruesome. 
it was almost like an animated horror film. Katzenberg reportedly hated it and demanded that cuts be made to make it less intense. But to salvage the story, a lot of frightening scenes still remained. The Horn King looked and sounded terrifying, and you couldn't exactly just remove him from the film. Some violent battle scenes were removed, as were ones of one of the female characters in ripped clothing. Scenes of an undead army being born out of the cauldron were so horrifying that according to IMDb, alterations needed to be rewritten, reanimated, and rescored. Some 12 to 15 minutes needed to be cut from the movie. Katzenberg himself reportedly started editing it himself after Joe Hale, the producer, refused to. The alterations that the film needed delayed the release of this movie from Christmas of 1984 to the summer of 1985. The alterations were also necessary from a financial perspective. In the summer of 1984, a new movie called Red Dawn starring Patrick Swayze was about to be released. And it featured something never seen before, the brand new PG-13 rating. The Black Cauldron, in its original form, would have been flirting with a similar rating. Since this was Disney, that rating would completely eliminate a younger audience, the bread and butter of their revenue, along with the parents who take them to the movie. And if for some reason they even dared to go PG-13, it would take an entirely different marketing approach. They would have to convince people that it wasn't the usual Disney fare. According to a 2010 Slate article, Disney did have some hope in drawing in teenagers, but having the name Disney attached to anything was thought to isolate that audience. The Black Cauldron had the difficult task of trying to appeal to multiple demographics. Eventually, however, the cuts got the movie down to PG, the very first Disney animated PG movie. The Black Cauldron clearly had a lot going against it, but was it unique and creative enough to make a splash at the box office? What would the audience response be? It was far worse than Disney ever anticipated. Everything 80s will return after these messages. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. In July of 1985, after what seemed like forever, 
The Black Cauldron finally hit theaters. In the great tradition of Disney animated classics, now comes the newest Disney spectacle of them all, The Black Cauldron. If you got to see this during its theatrical release, you may or may not have noticed a few unusual things, especially considering that this is a Disney film. One of the first things right away is that there wasn't any opening cast and creator credits. Was this a move to make the movie seem more serious and quote, not your parents' or grandparents' Disney film? There was no whimsical and colorful opening credits like we had been used to in other Disney movies. Speaking of cast credits, there are a few interesting voice performers that appeared in The Black Cauldron. John Huston, father of Angelica Huston, is the narrator. The great John Hurt, who played Ollivander in Harry Potter, voiced the Horned King. Billy Hayes, a.k.a. Witchy Poo from H.R. Puffin Stuff, is the voice of one of the witches. And Peter Renaday is one of the Horn King's henchmen. You would know Renaday better as Master Blaster from the cartoon show Kid Video, but probably better as Splinter from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoons. Another one of the most notable things that may have been easy to miss out on on first viewing was The Black Cauldron doesn't contain any songs. Unlike the previous Disney classics, The Black Cauldron is not a musical. There are no songs or singing of any sort. But then, of course, there was the violence and horrifying imagery. I was about eight years old when The Black Cauldron was released, and it was a movie I was desperate to see. Visually, it looked like The Sword in the Stone, a movie I loved. But The Sword in the Stone, it was not, and my mother quickly shut down any hope of seeing it. Word had spread, or at least in our circles, about how this animated film was way too intense for little kids. Parents taking small children found out that this wasn't exactly Winnie the Pooh. The movie was just so dark and intense and quite frightening. Audiences filled with young children watched scenes of Taron getting his face smashed in and bleeding. The army of the dead are nightmare-inducing skeletons that are raised from the dead after the Horn King makes a sacrifice to the cauldron. And there are also a lot of dead skeleton corpses throughout this movie. Even though he makes it in the end, Taryn's adorable furry companion sacrifices itself and we're to believe it's dead. There are also a few jump scares in this movie a tactic used in a lot of horror films. Attempts in the movie are made to cut off people's heads and there are more implications of off-screen death. At the end, the Horn King dies in a pretty horrifying death scene with his flesh being ripped and melted from his body, a scene that originally was supposed to be even more violent. The Black Cauldron might not seem so bad if you're watching it for the first time today as an adult, but remembering this is a Disney movie, it was quite a lot to take in. You also have to put yourself into the shoes of a young kid watching it unfold on a giant screen with loud sound in a dark theater. In his 1985 review of the film, Roger Ebert gave it a thumbs up, but started his review with the reminder that, quote, 
The best of the Disney animated features were not innocent children's entertainment, but blood-curdling stories of doom and obsession, unquote. The opening weekend didn't go well, as the Black Cauldron only brought in $4 million. That put it in fourth place behind a re-release of E.T., National Lampoon's European Vacation, and Back to the Future, which had already been in theaters for a month. Was it the bad word of mouth, or was the public unsure of what or who this movie was for? People just weren't used to seeing a Disney animated film that was rated PG. It was probably a bit of all of these issues, but the one underlying sentiment couldn't be ignored. This cartoon Disney movie was dark, possibly too dark. All of this negative response was bad news for Disney. By the end of its run, The Black Cauldron only generated a domestic gross of about $22 million, and it had a budget that was about twice that. Various reports state that the budget for The Black Cauldron had ballooned to $40 to $44 million. Adjusted for inflation, this is in the range of $117 to $130 million. This made The Black Cauldron the most expensive animated film ever produced. And it was the most expensive film ever by quite a wide margin. The Fox and the Hound, for example, only cost around $12 million to make. The Black Cauldron was clearly a box office bomb. In one last kick in the teeth, Disney, the company that was synonymous with animated films, just released a film that made $12 million less than the Care Bears movie. The Black Cauldron, Disney's monumental 25th film with astonishing new animation, made less money than Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf was a movie that only cost around $4 million to make, while The Care Bears only cost $2 million. Disney had just been completely embarrassed at the box office by characters from a greeting card company and a film that had most of its budget spent on denim and glued-on facial hair. So, if The Black Cauldron was this terrifying for small kids, what in the world did the original version look like? To this day, it doesn't seem as if more than a few dozen people, or fewer, ever saw the original cut. There isn't any certainty that the original cut even exists anymore. But that original cut also contains scenes of people boiling to death. There is also one notorious scene that apparently still has slight remnants in the theatrical release. As the army of the dead is being born out of the cauldron, there is a supposed scene where a man gets mauled to death. That scene may also include decapitation, along with someone being detorsoed. The cutout scenes resulted in an awkward and clumsy jump in the movie soundtrack for the theatrical release. Over the coming years, some animation cells started to surface, and they depicted the men dying as their skin was boiling and melting off them. There were also scenes from the original trailer that were cut from the film that people have spliced all together, attempting to reinsert them back into the movie. The Black Cauldron, though, still features some pretty amazing animation but you might have overlooked that if you were a little kid back in 1985. 
The movie that was supposed to define the new era of Disney animation did the complete opposite. Whether it was the backlash or Disney just wanting to distance themselves from this thing, The Black Cauldron wasn't even released on home video until 1998. But before the home video release, attempts to re-edit and tone down the movie could allow for maybe a possible theatrical re-release, this time with a possible G rating. There was also a new name, Taron and the Magic Cauldron. The new title also came with a more friendly-looking Disney-esque movie poster. Depending on what country you're listening from, you may be familiar with this, but it was only tested in a few U.S. cities and didn't amount to much. The failure of the Black Cauldron, of course, led to some internal backlash at Disney. There was already doubt over the future of Disney animated films, and the Black Cauldron flop almost led to the complete closure of the Disney animation department. The studio that had brought us classics like Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, and Pinocchio almost ceased to exist. A pretty crazy thing to think about. The failure of the Black Cauldron triggered a new approach, though. Jeffrey Katzenberg realized there still may be some value in animation, as long as it was approached his way. That meant scaling back everything. The movie's failure gave him carte blanche to retool the way things had been done for ages. He essentially threw out the playbook. Katzenberg saw the disaster that was the Black Cauldron and took the George Costanza approach by doing the opposite. If the Black Cauldron was slow to make and expensive, animation would now be fast and cheap. With this new approach, if Disney produced a flop, they at least wouldn't have sunk a lot of time and money into it. They could quickly move on to the next. Scaling back the animation department meant moving out of the very plush and comfortable studios in Burbank, California, and into a warehouse in Glendale. With the new direction and new location, the studio eventually came up with something interesting. A musical version of an 1837 Danish fairy tale. In November 1989, The Little Mermaid was released to the world. It quickly became a hit, becoming the first animated film to earn more than $100 million in its initial run. It also took in more than $230 million overall. That's about $600 million in today's money. Thanks to the success of The Little Mermaid, Disney animation was back, and the failure of The Black Cauldron inadvertently led to a brand new era of Disney animation. So what's the final verdict on The Black Cauldron? I don't think it's bad at all. The animation is still pretty great, and yes, it's intense, but so were a lot of other Disney films when you think about it all the way back to Sleeping Beauty and even Snow White. The Black Cauldron attempted some new animation techniques and film advancement and may have been a bit ahead of its time. It was also the first Disney film to record in Dolby Stereo. Eventually, The Black Cauldron developed a bit of a cult following. The Black Cauldron was a movie that had everything going against it. Internal turmoil at Disney, a changing of the guard, backlash, and probably some bad luck and timing. To their credit, 
the creators of the Black Cauldron stayed with their vision as long as they could. Would the movie have benefited from some songs and a more lighthearted tone? Would it be better if the cauldron was voiced by Angela Lansbury and spontaneously burst into song? Maybe, but that wasn't the movie they set out to make. As much of a failure as The Black Cauldron was, it ended up being a blessing in disguise as it changed the direction of Disney animation forever. It led to the creation of The Little Mermaid, a film that forever changed the trajectory of the company and led to a second golden age of animation that featured movies like Aladdin, The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, and into a new era of computer animated films like Toy Story. Out of the ashes of The Black Cauldron came a new era of beloved classics for the historic animation studio. But it's amazing to think how close it all came to an untimely demise. And on that bombshell, it's time to end. Thank you so much for listening. If you're looking for some suggestions for further listening, here are some previous episodes I have related to this. I have a few episodes all about one of the movies that beat the Black Cauldron at the box office, Back to the Future. I mentioned the voice talent of Peter Renaday, and I have a previous episode all about shows he lent his voice talent to, such as the story of Kid Video and the history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I also have a previous episode about the changing direction of the Disney theme parks in an episode all about Captain EO, the movie attraction featuring Michael Jackson. But besides those, I have a ton of previous episodes for you to dive into. And to make sure you don't miss out on new shows, be sure to subscribe to the Everything 80s podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you again for listening. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.